This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's it's a bird. Sorry, I didn't mean to get your hopes up there. Uh, my name is Stephen Cook, and you are listening to Lends Me Your Ears, the movie podcast that takes a look at new films and theaters, and then ties them into cinematic classics and forgotten gems from, from years gone by. My name is Karsten Knox. I am a co-host here with Stephen. Uh, I'm a film writer here in Halifax. I've got a blog called Flaw in the Iris you can find at halifaxbloggers.ca. And today uh, we are tackling the unavoidable blockbuster that is Avengers Endgame. Uh, one glove to rule them all in this uh, sort of final showdown in the uh, saga of the Infinity Gauntlet and Thanos and, and all that good stuff. We're going to get right at it right after this. So, Stephen, as Thanos said, uh, inevitability. He is, he is we, inevitable. We, we are inevitable. This is inevitable. Uh, we've been watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe since its launch in 2008. 22 movies. Uh, quite an experiment in cinematic uh, serialization. And in a way, you know... Uh, it's very impressive what they've done here. I've, I've talked about this on my blog. This is something to be seeing. And I, I know I've been reading a lot of think pieces that are, you know, moaning about how the blockbuster cinema is doing away. Hollywood's doing away with the middle budget movie and these movies are filling too many screens and it means we're getting, it's more homogeny in the cinema. But, I mean, the fact of the matter is the movies are bringing people together in the dark to enjoy movies in the cinemas and I'm always up for that and and if and if especially if they're good now not to say all the Marvel movies are good I have my favorites we'll be talking about our favorites but uh, I have now seen Avengers Endgame twice and I think it's a pretty amazing blockbuster what they've done here is extraordinary and we should say right off the top here we are going spoilerific with <laughs> yes. our talk about Avengers getting Endgame, Avengers Infinity War, and films before it. So if you uh, are planning to see Avengers Endgame, have not seen it yet, and you are listening to us on a podcast, you may want to go see it because we are going to get into spoilers. If you're listening to us on the radio, I apologize. I <laughs> uh, don't know what to say, except maybe you want to tune out for a little bit. We are getting into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we are not going to hedge our bets. We are going to talk about everything that comes to mind about these movies. So just fair warning there. Well, it's, you know, it's it's been out for, I guess, a couple of weeks at this point. And uh, so I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, if we want to talk about the darn thing, we're going to have to. Uh, and and the, the other thing is, is that because some people like like complain that learning about a haircut was a spoiler. I mean, at, at what point? does Yeah, there's a, a whole conversation. A there's a whole conversation we had about spoilers. And I believe I read uh, somewhere on social media that the directors have said spoilers are OK now to discuss. And, uh, and I'm like, well, I don't know if you get to make uh, the decisions. <laughs> Mr. Russo and Mr. Russo get to make those calls. But uh, we're, we're going to go for it. Yeah. Well, if, if it's something you care enough about being spoiled and then you don't see it like within the first even the first week of it opening then you've got nothing to complain about yeah that's right that's right so so yeah avengers endgame uh just to bring people up to speed on the plot here we are talking about the marvel cinematic universe the uh the core members of avengers are still alive and that's thor captain america iron man uh uh Hawkeye, who has vanished from the last film, uh, Black, um, Widow. Black Widow, and um, uh, these characters are still kicking around, but uh, many of their cohorts, many of their friends have been uh, wiped out from existence due to the plans of the mad titan Thanos, uh, who, who basically is kind of like a, a, a interstellar environmentalist who believes with some fairly, uh, you know, direct and uh, psychopathic planning that he can get rid of half the life in the universe and it'll make life for the other half much better. Uh, And he does so using the Infinity Gauntlet and the Infinity Stones, six stones of incredible power. He snaps his fingers and things change. That's the end of the the, uh, Infinity War movie that came out last year. A huge movie. And now we have the the, the, uh, pretty much direct sequel, the 22nd film 
in the series and of these characters who we've been spending time with, and they are left and in, and in this three-hour sort of final chapter of this particular arc. I mean, we know there's going to be more movies coming, but in this particular arc, this is the chapter uh, finale. Uh, they try to find a way to reverse things, and of course... They use time travel. My favorite analogy for Thanos, and it might have been the Union AV Club. I'm not 100% sure of this, but they, they describe Thanos as uh, Marie Kondo taken to the ultimate degree. <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate tiding, you know, half this universe does not spark joy. Therefore, I shall eliminate it. Um, so it's funny because, like, I don't know how, like, how the snap, like, who determines which half gets to go and which half gets to stay kind of thing like it's the stones it, 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 I guess. it seems i, I guess know. so it, it yeah. seems like a cosmic roll of the dice but then i guess that's that's the 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 marvel cosmic universe for you and uh and you know the, it made thanos kind of you know sympathetic in a way like the, and of course josh brolin gives it a great performance yeah in in the first uh infinity uh, avengers film infinity wars but the um you know, the fact that he has to sacrifice his daughter to get one of the stones and then we, we return to that sacrifice in the in the second and endgame uh, with, with kind of devastating results and, uh, you know, just what he has to sacrifice to, to clean up the universe, basically. It's, it, you know, makes him way more shaded than, than most uh, supervillains uh, yeah. ever get to be. You know, most of the time it's just conquest and power and, you know, uh, just smash puny humans, but uh, but but he's 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 a lot more uh, he's a lot more layered, uh, at least in the first one. And his 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 role in the second film uh, in Endgame is uh, a lot more plot mechanically driven, and which is you know one of the Nick picky things that you can uh, check off in the minus column, I suppose. But it's not really about him. I mean, he's he's already served his purpose. Yeah, he's been in the this he, film. He, he the whole first film. Uh, I should say when I say first film, I mean Infinity War. Uh, there have been four Avengers movies now. Uh, not that doesn't even count the Captain America movies, where a lot of Avengers shows show up. Yeah, they're pretty much Avengers movies. Uh, but uh, but yeah, uh, Thanos is driving the story in the first film and. Uh, and he wins, like he he gets what he wants. So in this more recent film, Endgame, he is, you know, they're trying to react to the way the universe has changed as a result of his his drive and his dream coming to fruition. And uh, yeah, and you said um, it's Josh Brolin is terrific in the part. He he delivers actually uh, a lot of of um, pathos for a guy who's basically, it's a, basically a motion capture performance. And he, he really does. And even in this one, you know, his uh, his drive to, to do what he wants to do, to, to complete this goal, uh, you know, it, it gets by the third act, we, he, he returns. And uh, yeah, and he does, he, and there's, there's the battle to end all battles at the end of this movie. Um, and uh, it's something to see. I... I Oh, man, I have see, I watched it again, you know, <laughs> and I felt like it deserved a second viewing, partly I, I, because it's such a zeitgeist movie and everyone's talking about it. And but there's I, so much going on, there's too. There's so much going on. Three, it's And it comes in three distinct acts. There's the kind of, like, getting up to speed on what's happened, and everyone is, is pretty depressed in the first act. There's the time heist act in the middle where they go back in time using the quantum realm thanks to uh, Ant-Man's uh, what if you've watched his movies you'll know what that's about and then the third act where everyone comes together to fight Thanos and his hordes one more time and uh, there are casualties there are actual real casualties this time so um, yeah it, it's and it's you know it's done with the typical lightness of touch while still dealing with heavy existential uh, issues. Uh, it is. It is really engaging. But I. I'm now. I, but the part of the reason I went to see it again was because I did have some kind of niggling problems with the film and with. I mean, you said there were lots to go through, um, and I wanted to see whether or not I understood them better the second time around, and I, I really did. I really, like, the, the two, okay, I'll just say, the, <laughs> the, two, the two biggest issues for me, one was the disposition of the Black Widow, yes. who I felt like didn't get her due, and this is a problem I think I've had with the series going through. I felt like the Black Widow deserves more time on screen. She deserves her own film. Apparently, she's getting one. There's yeah, still a, one coming. A prequel of, so, of sorts. Yeah, a prequel, which seems to me like a strange idea for a character who we've seen their death she dies in Spoiler the middle alert. 
yeah, in the middle of this film. <laughs> and I just felt like even here she didn't get quite her due. No, not at all. Um, but watching it a second time, the, the film does seed her motivations. She wants to bring everybody back. She spent the last five years of this, the dark time trying to keep the Avengers together and trying to come up with some kind of solution to what's happened. And she sees the solution now. And if it means that she has to sacrifice herself in order to, to have it happen and save her friend, she's going to do it. And I, I felt like... I felt like they they did her justice in that regard. Now, overall, I still feel like she got a short shrift, but I I think in terms of this story, she it works. Um, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of distractions from her through line in the film that you don't necessarily pay as much attention to it the first time around. Yeah, yeah. And then when when it's over, you're kind of like, oh, well, that's crappy, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. But I mean. You kind of know going in that, that some sacrifice has to be made to get that particular stone, uh, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know it, it's not something you're, you're not focused on Black Widow. She's but she's always doing something and and uh, in a scene to make her presence there worthwhile. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know I'm I'm actually looking forward to seeing this a second time. I might actually just watch the two. Uh, Avengers films back to back, yeah, and and see what uh, see what I get out of that. I think I, I, I'm going to direct people to my. I do I don't do this very often, but in this case, I'm going to direct people to my blog. I've written a blog post after seeing it a second time, where I actually think that they have seeded the return of the Black Widow. It won't be just a prequel. I think they're actually going to find a way to bring her back, and I have a theory about that. So I'll leave that to my blog. If anyone wants to check it out, uh, <laughs> um, flaw in the iris, uh, please do. But um, well, we do have Gamora back in you know in her sort of pre G. OTG form, so I guess that uh, that you know that kind of hints, I think, yeah. somewhat. At, at and there is like a this. possibility. I mean, they send Captain America back in time to return all the stones to their original place in the time stream. If she, if he returns the Soul Stone to Vormir. Does that mean that she gets a second chance? That's my and he has to face off with the Red Skull. I mean, his <laughs> yes. his his ancient his villain is is there on the mountain. Anyway, I think there's a story to be told there, and I hope it means that the there's a chance that Natasha could come back. Um, so that was one of the issues. Um, another issue I had was the fact that Captain Marvel, who had her own movie three months ago and uh, oh, was a big yeah. one, plays a very small part in this film. And I understand that the story they wanted to tell was about the original the. OG Avengers, Avengers, and uh, and so she's the new, the quote unquote new girl, and she does have an important part to play in the final battle. I mean, it's quite a cheering, like rousing moment where she returns to the fight. But I, I just missed that she wasn't in more of the movie, and I, I, I sort of feel like there was an opportunity there to hand over the baton and like to the new generation, and I don't think they quite did it with her. No, no, she's. Captain Deus Ex Marvel kind <laughs> um, and it's something anyway. Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, especially with a lot of the hype that you know after Captain Marvel came out and it had the stinger with her meeting the Avengers, um, which I guess was a scene f that they'd filmed for Endgame that they decided to pull and use as the stinger for the Captain Marvel movie, um, and and everybody was set up for like you know Brie Larson's Captain Marvel playing a big role in the in the final film, which. Uh, you know, she does in the climactic battle, but yeah, aside from her turning up at the start and then I have business to do elsewhere, you know, that, yeah. that old, that old dodge. Uh, yeah. But, I, I maybe, maybe they'll explain that more in a next movie of hers. That, yeah, that, well, I, I assume there'll be another Captain Marvel movie. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I quite enjoyed the one that we got. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so those were the issues I had around the first watch. I enjoyed the film more the second time. I felt like it all came together better. I felt more emotionally engaged. I mean, I was pretty emotional at the end of the first watch, but the second watch I was quite, I was a little teary. I got to say, um, but, you know, so the problems I had were lessened and the parts of the film I liked were heightened. And so, uh, I kind of came out of it kind of feeling, wow, I'm just even more impressed with what they've done here. Uh, Stephen, you mentioned you had a couple of niggling issues. It sounds like you really enjoyed it, though. I, I really enjoyed it overall. In fact, they even made Hawkeye interesting, which is <laughs> not, 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 that, not that was probably the biggest surprise of the whole film. And not just me. his haircut. <laughs> yeah, not just his hair. Yeah, his, the, there was more than one haircut. So, I, you know, I, I can't say which haircut I was spoiling originally in the broadcast. But... Um, uh, you know, I didn't have a problem with the length. I thought it moved really well. I love the fact that the the big the plot turns on this technology that was set up in the heretofore fairly inconsequential Ant Man films. <laughs> yes, you know, that's because right. The first the first Ant Man film was kind of a comical lark with the very most likable man in Hollywood, Paul Rudd, 
um, you know, as as the uh, reformed criminal turned superhero. And of course, he comes back and teams up with Evangeline Lilly uh, as the Wasp in the in the sequel. And uh, and then you know we get the thing with him going into the quantum realm thanks to the the Pims, and uh, thanks to Hank Pym, and um, and of course, but then it turns out and. You know, at the end of that film, you know, is when the the snap. Uh, I think maybe the first portrayal of the snap outside of uh, the Avengers: Infinity War would have been at the end of Ant Man, and of course, that you know that you instantly know that oh well, this is obviously going to play a major role. Yeah. In um, in the next film, so uh, yeah, I, I I liked all the stuff leading up to it, and and uh, I thought everybody, you know, the characters that were saying goodbye w- w- were handled probably about, about as well as they could have. Um, uh, Black Widow, I thought, deserved a funeral. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at at the end, you know, why Why just Iron Man gets a, a nod at that line? And I guess yeah. it was because it was at his cottage or whatever. But Yeah, and Hulk but, throws a, a bench into the into the lake. That's like the one thing that happens when they're <laughs> yes. sitting around talking about her. Maybe he's mad that, that she didn't get more uh, credit as well. So, uh, you know, that's all, that's all, but... Any any problems I have with it are fairly inconsequential, really. I mean, the Black Widow thing was the most glaring thing while I was watching it. I do look forward to going back because I've, I've read other reviews of it that say, but, you know, like pay more attention to her and the scenes that she's in, which is hard to do when, when Captain America and the Hulk and Iron Man are, you know, in the middle of the scene. How do you steal focus from Robert Downey Jr.? Yeah, um, yeah fair enough. The, uh, the end battle, uh, obviously it's what had to happen to bring everybody back. Uh, I've, I've probably maybe even said this before in our discussions of, of these movies, but I'm not a big fan of portals. Uh, <laughs> there are know, a lot of portals. There are so many portals. And that was, that was kind of my deal with like the first two Avengers films is like, oh, more, you know, evil, you know, and an unstoppable endless supply of evil creatures coming through a portal. Great. Uh, in this case, it's an unstoppable tide of good guys coming through a portal. So I guess maybe I should be on the side of portals now. Um, but it's, it's, it's just, that seems, that's one of my least favorite plot yeah. conveniences. Uh, and, but it gets everybody to the same place at once. So the sort of grand battle, grand Royale can take place. I found some of the action in the final battles a bit murky, a bit hard to follow. Um, and there's a moment, and there's actually there's one moment in the battle, and it it's there's actually been an essay about it on the AV Club about when when it's all a uh, whole line of the female uh, superheroes are all kind of charging at once, and it and I agree with the uh, the essay uh, which is written by a woman who feels that that moment was not earned. That, yeah, it's that a bit gratuitous, isn't it? it? It's yeah. pretty gratuitous. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess I'm, you know, it's better that it's there than not, but at the same time, I feel like. Those characters, you know, they were just kind of plunked in there, and, and it was it was a bit of lip service or whatever. It could have been so much better handled. Those characters could have had better moments individually or whatever, or yeah. you know, it just that that moment kind of graded. And then when I saw the piece about it, I was like, oh, okay, it wasn't just me. Yeah, no, <laughs> I totally agree. And and in, in back in Infinity War, a lot of the female characters did get those moments yes, and exactly. individually, and yeah. it was terrific to see them uh, to see them really deliver. Um, you know, it's funny. There are a lot of people out there, especially on my film Twitter, who are not fans of these movies, who, who are really against them and who, who want more, you know, diversity in film. And I get that. I understand it. Oh, well, I, I do, too. You know, but, I mean, you've got to you've got to have those tent poles. That, yeah. Otherwise, the, you know, the major studio film industry, as we know it, sort of. Ceases to, yeah. you know, the giant sound stages and everything that are built because these films get made and then pay for them, uh, you know, that it does actually create infrastructure, uh, you know, for a wider industry, hopefully. Yeah. And but, it means and it means certain films are more likely to be seen on streaming services or on VOD or what have you than they used to be able to be seen in the big screens. It, yeah, it means that going to the movies is more about spectacle. And I, I get all that. But, you know, it's funny. The things about these movies that everyone seems to like is when the characters just sit down and and talk and figure out their problems. Yes. And, and some of my favorite parts of the whole series, including the last movie, which has plenty of that, is of just characters talking. And, uh, and it's so, and, and the humor that they deliver. Characters, uh, like Chris Hemsworth's Thor is now become a great a comic relief in a wonderful way. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. is such a great deliver- deliverer of the witticism. I mean, that's one of the things that has made him so much fun to watch is he's always got a quip. 
um, now, and Spider-Man is also full of that with yes. his like teenage yeah, optimism. Yeah, they really turned that uh, ship around with, yeah. the, with the Tom Holland. So. They really have. And, and you know, I think if, if there is one thing that I would recommend about the films is that, you know, yes, those big b- battle scenes frequently are just CGI sludge. And it's really too bad that there have to be so many of them. But the characters sitting around, hanging out, having a conversation. You know, maybe my favorite scene in all the movies now, we should probably talk about the older movies as yes. we go forward, happens in the first Avengers where they're all sitting around on the the, um, um, the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier and talking about their various relationships with each other and whether or not S.H.I.E.L.D. is to be trusted. And it is so well-written and it's so dynamic. Uh, Joss Whedon, again, you know, a master of this kind of thing. Uh, and, and the Russo brothers as well have done a great job and the, and the writers of all of the series, when it's at its best, it's characters talking and uh, and really you you really feel engaged with them. Yeah, and I think Whedon kind of laid the groundwork for that, and, and you know, and and doing the things that DC, the competing comics universe, has got completely wrong uh, for the most part. Um, you know that that investing in character, investing in, in dialogue and humor in likability, that's, that's the way to go. And, and, you know, even though this is the end of this kind of era, I guess, the next Spider-Man, Far From Home, that's coming out in uh, July, in July, uh, July 4th, I think it comes out. So, but I think, uh, you know, that's technically the last film in this current cycle. Um, And then I think they give it a bit of a rest for a bit, but of course there's X-Men, Dark Phoenix and other things coming. Of course there's more stuff coming down the pipe, but, uh, and then we'll get this, you know, we'll get Black Panther too and we'll get another Thor movie and so on. But, um, uh, or, you know, as guardians of the galaxy or whatever we, we get, uh, following this. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel like they, they really looked at what worked and really honed in on it in a way that, you know, the, the kind of, ham-fisted DC could never figure out for some reason. And, and, uh, and I think, uh, you know, I think this realm is all the better for it. Hi, I'm Lindsay Cameron Wilson, host of The Food Podcast. But do you know what? It's not just about food. It's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The Food Podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share our stories with you. Well, we thought we would take this opportunity for this segment to maybe look at some of our favorite films from this particular universe. And, uh, you know, we, we are talking about 22 movies, which is pretty pretty astonishing that they've done in, in a short period of time. You know, when you look at things like you know, what else compares? James Bond, I guess, is the closest with, I think, James Bond 25 is in production now. Yeah. Um, but, of course, that's taken 50 years or so, or 60, almost 60 years, to, to pull together. And I guess the Star Wars universe uh, yeah. is is ongoing, even though we're getting a, a final of the the final of the third trilogy um, coming out this Christmas. I'm sure there's going to be more adventures. You know, I mean, Disney didn't pay a bajillion dollars for that property to just have it wind down a few years later. No, uh, they have plans. They have plans. So, mm. uh, but uh, in the space of time, over the course of a decade, um, with a few, uh, you know, predecessors and, and a few other outliers, uh, it's been a pretty remarkable achievement. I mean, obviously, it's a blockbuster series. It's, you know, designed to make money first and foremost. But uh, they it's it's been handled in such a way that, uh, the quality is, is far higher than anybody has any right to expect, I think, yeah. from something like this. If you go back to 2008, when they had that year, they had the Iron Man movie, they had the Hulk, which they brought back with Edward Norton, which was actually didn't do well. No. Uh, and, you know, that could have been it. But they still had in the pipeline Captain America and Thor and uh, and all of these characters. I mean, Thor it could have been so silly. Iron Man was not a, a character. Tony Stark was not a name that anyone other than comic book fans recognized. And they, through the careful curation of these characters and their sort of self-contained stories, they were able to bring them all together to the Avengers in 2012, four years later. And that was a huge hit. And then they're off to the race. I mean, if they ever had any doubt. Uh, I, I guess Iron Man 2 came out just before that. So, um, yeah, all of which to say is they weren't all winners right out of the gate, but they were... They were they had a plan and they stuck to it and they were able to deliver uh, more and more of these movies on a regular basis and then 
they were able to not only make them just like superhero origin movies, but they were able to bring in other genres to help make the films more interesting in a way that was unexpected to audiences. Um, one of my favorite movies uh, on my list. Well, I guess I'll start by saying, I'll, I'll go down from five to one. Sure. Num- my number five is a bit of a cheat. It's Avengers Endgame and Avengers Infinity War. So, <laughs> so there's two. That's fair enough. <laughs> um, because really that's a two-parter. And, uh, and I just think what they were, just the sheer scale of these films, the emotional impact that they bring, they were a really satisfying conclusion, even if we all know they're not really a conclusion. Um, you know, to the to this universe, uh, I, I really enjoyed those. Um, my number four film is Captain America: Civil War, uh, also directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, also written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who are the regular writers of these of a number of these films. Um, it's as much of an Avengers movie as a Captain America movie, but it it really brings home the fact that uh, Cap has this connection with his old buddy Bucky, the the Winter Soldier, and wants to do everything he can to protect him, even though Bucky has done terrible things. And uh, and that puts Cap and Tony Stark at odds in a way that is uh, is is you know is pretty pretty epic. Um, and Stark, he has a lot of skeletons in his closet, including the fact that he created Ultron, the the murder Doombot in the last <laughs> Avengers movie. So he's got a lot of he's got a lot of uh, guilt about that. Uh, it makes for a really interesting and compelling film. Um, now, number three, my number three is Iron Man from 2008, where it all started. I went back and watched Iron Man. It's it's actually a lot more gritty than a lot of the the movies that that succeeded it and uh, came later. And uh, but again, it's all about Robert Downey Jr. And he drives that thing in a way that is just is so much fun to watch. And his Tony Stark. And then they they actually and, and the I think the special effects were at a level where you believe a guy is flying around in a suit of armor in a way that maybe 10 or 15 years before they couldn't have pulled off. No, well, that's that technology has certainly been a big role yeah. in these film success. Yeah, so number two is Captain America, The Winter Soldier um, from 2014. That's the also directed by the Russo brothers and also written by Marcus and McFeely. Um, and it's it's the the... 1970s political thriller version of these movies. It's it's great, and it also has Robert Redford in the film. So I mean, you really can't go wrong with that. I mean, it's it's wonderful. It also has the most time spent between the Black Widow and Captain America, who make a really interesting sort of double uh, act in a way because he's so staunch and and uh, and so unflappable, and then she comes from a completely different world, and that that duality really works for the the story. My number one movie is The Avengers from 2012. Uh, Joss Whedon just balances the epic with the intimate in such a way that I uh, I really loved it. He also gave Loki his best moments. Uh, Loki being uh, Thor's brother, who I think has been a regular character showing up in the series and probably gets my vote for best villain overall. Oh, yeah, I'd say. Yeah. And he, he, we get a nice little nod to him, uh, I think, on a couple of occasions in, in Endgame as well. Yes. As plus, you know, plus the fact that he's, I guess, he's now back. <laughs> yeah, in, yeah. In, in play. In play, uh, which yeah. Is, uh, which is terrific news for uh, any future Thor movies. I I kind of didn't, uh, just a weird list off the top of my head. The uh, the Avengers films themselves, I, I feel like I almost put them in their own category in a way. So I don't, this, this list, uh, none of the Avengers films are on my list. Um, That's interesting. Which is, it is and it isn't. I, I, I enjoy them a lot. Obviously, it's, it's, you know, where everything kind of points toward. But I was, you know, I'm not a big Marvel fan uh, off the bat. So oh, I mean, comic of, of the comics. I was right. a, I was a DC guy, which right. is why you know I, was, I had this weird cockeyed view. I mean, I did read a few. You know, I, I did like Daredevil quite a bit because um, he's basically Marvel's version of Batman. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, as a kid, I certainly loved Spider Man. Certainly more before, the before Moon Knight. Moon Knight has kind of become like Batman, but you're I, so, right, but, Daredevil. Yeah, has more his... more recently, but yeah. but I think but originally you're right. But I yeah. think originally he was their answer. He was kind of he had he was a little darker and. You know, more urban, more yeah, the urban Avenger kind of thing. Mm-hmm. He had this kind of tortured past with his dad getting murdered and all that kind of stuff. So, um, my number five is Doctor Strange. Yeah, which uh, and it's I'm sure it's nobody's favorite, but uh, I, I like Cumberbatch in the role a lot. Sure, um, and I like the fact that it was the first film to really get that whole Jack Kirby esque cosmic 
spaciness of, oh. of, of it all. The, you know, the, that aspect of Marvel that I do, that they did better than, you know, that they captured the zeitgeist of the 60s in such a unique way, uh, mainly thanks to Kirby. Uh, and I don't feel like many of the movies have really captured that. You know, it's sort of like with, uh, you know, I think of uh, Nick Fury and how crazy some of those S.H.I.E.L.D. comics, uh, you know, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, I think Jim Steranko was the artist on those, I think. And uh, and those are some pretty, you know, they really went to town with experimentation. And I feel like that's, you know, that aspect. I, I kind of wish there was a Nick Fury movie, basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to happen. But but uh, there's an aspect to that character and, and S.H.I.E.L.D.'s kind of underlying role. I guess that was better carried out on the uh, on the TV series, which I haven't watched, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I feel like one of these days I've got to get around it's, to uh, that. I've seen it. It's actually, uh, it's not it's not awesome throughout, but um, I, the first season had a terrific twist that felt worthwhile. And, uh, and I'd also point people to the Netflix Marvel series, like Daredevil, like uh, Jessica Jones especially. Yeah, I'd like to see um, Jessica Jones, Agent yeah. Carter. Yeah, Agent Carter. All of those have, have definite moments. I think as, as Marvel fans, uh, there's a lot there to enjoy. Um, number four is Thor Ragnarok. Uh, because I didn't love the first two Thor movies. I, I thought Hemsworth was perfect, obviously, for the character. Uh, but I found those films a little fuzzy. Uh, you know, there was humor in them. Uh, you know, and of course we do get Loki, uh, but somehow they were just, uh, there was just something not incredibly satisfying about the first two. The, the third one, uh, Ragnarok, of course, Taika Waititi, uh, takes, takes on the film and just takes it completely into, you know, Technicolor comic book town, which I love. <laughs> it is pretty great. And you're, you're talking about. And Kate Blanchett is an amazing villain. Uh, Kirby. I mean, it has so much of yes. his, his design elements exactly, yeah. in, in the movie. Yeah. So I guess, I guess we see where my allegiances <laughs> in this whole realm <laughs> of things. Uh-huh. Um, at, 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 and uh, it was, it was just, it was funny. I, I love that uh, Watiti also voiced a character who we get a little bit of in, in Endgame to great effect. Um, it's great to see him return. Um, and uh, number three is Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. I didn't love the second one. Uh, I didn't really care for the whole, you know, Kurt Russell's a planet kind of thing. Um, I just felt it it just kind of got stuck in, in third gear or something. It just didn't, didn't pull it off for me. But the first Guardians of the Galaxy was such a breath of fresh air uh, for me because I, it was like, why are they, you know, I, I mean, I love this kind of second string or even third string kind of comic series and Guardians of the Galaxy was definitely one that no one expected to see a movie about. Uh, and, uh, you know, and of course it does tie into the whole, um, you know, larger mythos. And I guess with Thanos, uh, and two of his daughters being involved with the guardians, uh, or, you know, either being involved with or at odds with, um, sort of makes sense to have them around, but, uh, to, to, to actually bring them in for their own feature film for a team that most people have not heard of, uh, I thought was a pretty, pretty bold move and it paid off. The thing was a huge hit, you know, it, it, it uh, it rides a lot on the charisma of its cast, but uh, you know the, they cast it extremely well. And uh, you know, I, I should probably go back and rewatch the second one because I know some people really like it. Um, me, I, I felt it just—it uh, was a bit sour. There's something about it. There's something about the tone of it that just mm. didn't didn't jive with me. I like the I like the second one a lot. I don't know if I liked it more than the first one. They both are great, but yeah. uh, I did like it anyway. Continue, please. Um, number two, we are on a court. Uh, Captain America: Winter Soldier is my uh, number two. Um, I uh, I loved the fact that they just you know took a complete left turn and, and made us like a seventies paranoid political the- uh, thriller. Uh, I you know I did not expect that uh, at all from a Captain America movie and uh, and it was great and uh, I kind of I almost want to slot Civil War in there too because of course one thing kind of leads to another but of course there is an Avengers movie in between those and and there's a lot of other activity so they don't quite line up the way that, say, Infinity War and Endgame do. But uh, but I'm quite fond of both of those films. Civil War, I like more for, like, some amazing moments. Um, but Winter Soldier really nails it in terms of tone and, and just doing something completely different. And, you know, Captain America is a character that I never thought I would enjoy so much because I always saw him as, as an even stiffer version of Superman. Yeah, no, uh, that's totally fair. And uh, But fact of the matter is he's he's been so amazingly used in this series and Chris Evans has been perfect uh, and my number one is Black Panther just because uh, it's the most uh, singular I think of, of the Marvel films that it, it just really stands out on its own um, you know it, it doesn't necessarily require all the other mythology tying you know of course it is tied into events that happen in other films but uh, 
but I just I just loved it in terms of the the different universes it presents with the with Wakanda and and the characters and then Chadwick Boseman is just hits that right note of of charisma and you know square jawed hero uh, fortitude and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's stuck with me as the one that you know that shows that they're really willing to kind of break through the boundaries of these films and do do some different stuff. Yeah, I, I really applaud all your choices. I uh, definitely, a number of them would be in my five to 10 list if yeah. we decided to go that way. They are all terrific for all the reasons that you mentioned, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, part of the joy of this as a longtime comic book fan is seeing these characters brought to life and their casting. You mentioned the casting. They're so good in choosing just the right actor to bring that character to life. Uh, you know, and if I realize part of my my kind of gripes if about some of the things that happen in Endgame or some of the other films is that my favorite character, who I have a very kind of visceral connection to from my youth, is either not getting enough time on screen <laughs> or something happens to them, like the Vision, who is one of my favorites, oh, maybe if yeah. not my favorite Avenger of all time, to have him him uh, be a, a casualty of uh, Avengers Infinity War, not really get a moment to really shine. He's he's kind of always on the defensive in that film. And then he doesn't return. I mean, you know, that made me really sad. And I'm really hoping that they find a way to solve that problem. Well, OK, here's the thing. Like, I can't remember which stone is embedded in his forehead, but, um, you know, presumably Cap returned it to him, I guess. Like, like we don't get to see Cap return the stones, but well, the, the stone that was in the uh, scepter that oh, Loki carried around okay. got into his forehead. So, so it's got to go back to the scepter. But presumably, he wouldn't Cap wouldn't give it to Hydra because Hydra, yeah, I, yeah. But at some point, <laughs> at some point, that that stone has to go to Ultron, who will use it to animate the Vision. Uh, so yeah, it's it's got it. it uh, hopefully, will find its way back to Vision. But but you know, in the comic books, the Vision has because he's a synthesoid, he has been destroyed many times and brought back many times. So I feel like there is a precedent for that to happen here. Yeah, I I, I hope we I, well, and he's so tied into the the Scarlet Witch too. So I I kind of hope that uh, that he does come back. He's visually he's just a great looking guy, but you know, character. But Paul Bettany was was superb portraying him and mm-hmm. I, yeah that would definitely be a plus to have him return at some point down the line um you know and and obviously future avengers whatever the avengers turns out to be down the road because uh, i imagine there will be some other avenging to be done yeah <laughs> with or without uh, tony stark um I, I gather that like even though like downey jr's time is sort of officially up he's he said he's he's not like complete like out completely like he he's not going to make any more iron man movies or, or avengers type movies but but he might still be down for limited roles or cameos or whatever so so i he's you know that there might be some maybe for flashbacks or whatever obviously yeah but. i wouldn't be surprised to see him show up or or in a in a holographic form as he does a couple of times in uh, yes or at least once in in avengers endgame i yeah I, I mean he is kind of the godfather of this series and and a lot of its success he can take credit for. So, uh, you know, again, <laughs> it's just, it is really, again, speaking of the right actor in the right role, they have done such a good job. And, and the, at the end of Endgame, there is this moment, this shot where the camera pans through over sort of a, a grassy knoll up from the lake where Tony Stark has his uh, his home with his family. And you see all the actors who have all played parts in the last, you know, 22 movies. And it is remarkable. What yeah. What a group. I mean, it really is. No, it's, I, and I'm watching it going, are they all there at the same time? Or is there some weird compositing going on? I or? wouldn't be so, Yeah, I wondered yeah. myself. It, it, if they, it was composite, they did a great job at it. Um, did you, of course, there's that one teenage kid who's at the, the memorial at the end. And of course, I was like, who's that guy? And I, I did not, you know, obviously I'd seen Iron Man 3, but I... Uh, you know, I did not remember. Was it Iron Man three or? Yeah, it was Iron Man three, uh, where he was like he basically gave Stark shelter while he worked on a, a suit. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, uh, and sort of came came back out, you know, punching or whatever. But but uh, you know, like I had to actually look that up. <laughs> I was like, who's that kid? Yeah, do you, do you there, have a son that we didn't know about. There was some talk about that uh, online, and yes, I it kind of flew over my head when I saw it the first time. The second time, I was like, right, that's definitely him. Yeah, no, it was great to, mm-hmm. to bring that back. Again, the kind of uh, callbacks that this series is so good at rewards those people like us who have seen all the films, and it makes it all seem more connected, and it and it it gives you that, that sort of 
little little injection of, of thrill that comes from a really well thought out serial. Uh, and you know what? If that's the future of, of of blockbuster filmmaking, you know, I'm all for that. I think if it's done well, it's it's great. And I, it makes me sad that other studios have not been able to achieve this with anywhere near the success. I mean, talking about the Universal Monsters, the Dark Universe thing, which they tried. The Mummy (laughs) I watched recently, it's terrible. I mean, if they had done it well, it could have worked. It could have worked as well as, you know, Alan Moore's League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or um, it could have worked as well. But not the movie version. But not the movie (laughs) version. Or, or, you know, or um, A Penny Dreadful. Like, it could have worked as well as those things, but on a grander scale. Uh, But they just made a a hash of it, Um, you know, and, uh, and we've and just it, seen Hellboy kind of crash and crap burn. out you yeah. know, with, with a third. Well, not even a third installment. It's like a reboot, but on a lower level, you know, just lower level of writing, lower level of vision. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and just kind of make you go, well, that maybe should have gone straight to Netflix or yeah. something. And then there's DC who have recently, with the last two movies, I think, or three movies, they've done a, like Wonder Woman we've talked about here on the podcast. Yes. They have done some effort to right the ship after, you know, some terrible movies or at least movies that didn't really have the heart that the yeah. Marvel movies have. You have to go back all the way to Christopher Nolan and then further back to Tim Burton and to the Superman movies to find the heart that exists in these Marvel movies, which I think is a reasonable segue to our next segment, uh, Stephen. Yes, we're, we're going to cross the bridge over to uh, the other guys. I'm trying to remember, they used to refer to them, like in Mar- Marvel Comics, of course, in the heyday, in the 60s and 70s, would always refer to Brand X, I think, is how they uh, refer the to distinguished it. The competition distinguished competition was one. Uh, yeah, that and, was one euphemism I and, remember. And Brand, Brand X, I think, was the other one. And uh, we'll get to that in our next round. So... Uh, interestingly and uh, coincidentally, the local Cineplex is showing two features from our youth that are superhero movies, uh, Batman from 1989 and Batman Returns from 1992. And back in the day before Marvel was anything on the screen anyway, I mean, there were some Marvel animated series. There was the uh, the Hammond Spider-Man TV show. But really, Marvel uh, didn't have a huge presence. Oh, I guess there was the Hulk with Bill Bixby but uh, on <laughs> yes. television. But there, Marvel didn't have a great cinematic record, and it took them a while to get up to speed. And certainly, I guess maybe the X-Men movies were the first, or Blade were the first to really make an impact uh, on a broader cultural sense beyond outside the comic books. But DC had been doing pretty well for a while. And when they decided to do Batman in the late 80s, you know, they they had a huge success with that. And, of course, the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, the first two, uh, still hold up as great superhero movies, uh, really getting the character right, really getting the casting right, Mm -hmm. um, until the series kind of took a a dive in the third and fourth iterations. But, but yeah, I rewatched Batman and Batman Returns, which I hadn't seen in many years. And uh, I know you watched Superman. Um, and uh, and then Superman two, uh, but uh, which I remember pretty well. Not so much the Donner cut, but I do remember the the theatrical version. Uh, but yeah, Batman. Uh, I it was it was fun to see it. I, I <laughs> yeah, had I it's, had, it's, I had, it's I had, interesting uh, to revisit for sure. Yeah, I had some nostalgia for it. I remembered the things about the film that worked. I really liked Tim Burton's authorial voice like it wasn't my Batman but I appreciated that he had a very distinct idea how Batman should be and his Batman is like not so much a superhero but more like a vampiric gothic psychopathic vigilante in a rubber suit Uh, and accordingly his villains are also twisted as you know, I mean, Jack Nicholson's Joker is just bigger than the movie that he's in. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Michael Keaton, you know, as Batman, his casting got a lot of grief, I recall. This was before the internet, and people were not fond of this idea. But I think he did a really good job. And in these two movies, even when in the second movie he's clearly not even really the star of his own movie, uh, he does well with the role. So, um, yeah, it was fun going back and, and visiting those. Yeah, I, I just remember the marketing onslaught. For and I mean and maybe because we're we're used to it now, like every movie has that kind of onslaught, so it's just part of the package. But I think it, I think when that first Batman came out, because it certainly didn't happen with the Superman film. I mean, I'm sure there were auxiliary toys and board games and stuff like that for for the Christopher Reeve um, 
uh, Superman that came out in 79, I guess. But uh, but for Batman, it's just like it was you could not avoid it. I mean, it was oh. everywhere. There's the Prince soundtrack. You know, Such a weird choice. I know he was on Warner, so it's like, we'll get Prince to do the music. But it, in terms of tone, it felt a little it odd. It was a little odd. But apparently, like, a lot of it was Prince saying, I really want to be... Like, he kind of forced the issue himself. I mean, he was such a huge star at that time. And he, I think he really wanted to be on board. And he kind okay. of basically offered himself up. And they, they sneak a couple of songs in. But there's a whole sound you know soundtrack. It was Prince, the Batman album. And, and I think only like two or three, you know, they sneak one ballad in over the credits. There's Party Man, which is like the Joker's theme song. And uh, I don't even think you hear Bat Dance. I don't think you do, <laughs> although it was uh, a big hit that summer. But I it remember. was, yeah. And, uh, you know, and I bought a lot of that stuff. You know, I bought a lot of the, the, the toys. And, uh, you know, even though I was kind of a grown man. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've got like the... The metal, the round metal tin version of the Batman sure. album, the Prince one, came in like a, a round black tin with the logo, the, the Bat logo on it and stuff. Um, you know, but it was everywhere, and uh, you know, it, it was kind of. And and now we're just used to it because it's like it's on our phones, it's on our computer screens. You know, was, we were just marveling, literally, at the uh, the IMDb page for uh, Avengers Endgame and how like over the top it is by just plastering you know, the background with the poster and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it, it's, it's maybe we're more inured to it now, but, uh, you know, Batman was everywhere. And the movie came out and it was, you know, it was not the home run that people hoped for. I mean, at that point, I don't think Tim Burton had really gone astray yet. As no. He's, as he, he's done several times it's since. True. But He, he uh, had Beetlejuice and he had Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure. Um, but, uh, and I guess had some Disney work, but I mean, yeah, it was, he, he, it was his first crack at a big budget blockbuster. And apparently there were script troubles. Apparently, you know, there were, there were production issues. Uh, he delivered a film that feels years later, less like a superhero movie and more like a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, visually they built this huge Gotham set, which looks amazing. Um, you know, it's still practical effects. It's still miniatures and mats and, uh, you know, all, you know, in camera tricks and a lot of, there's very little recognizable anyway, computer stuff. Um, and uh, and the same with Batman Returns, although there is some computery stuff in, in, in the second one, a little more so. And so I, I like that aspect of it, of, of being able to spot the mini bat, you know, the, like the mini remote controlled Batmobile when it pops up in some brief shots and stuff. So, uh, you know, that appeals to me, um, you know, it's, and, and Nicholson's Joker, you're right. It is like this weird, outsized performance that is kind of great like if it wasn't for nicholson's joker it, it might be kind of unwatchable yeah. maybe but and then the makeup that they put on him which is kind of startling it's, like yeah it's kind of disturbing yeah um <laughs> and uh so they yeah the whole you know the whole thing is, is kind of it's it doesn't all come together but the stuff that works really works well, and, and I enjoyed watching it again. And, and it is fun to watch, you know, something that was a big budget action film of the time, which now would, you know, so much of that stuff would have been would be done with computers. And it just, you know, it said it was craftsmanship, I guess. Although, I, you know, I, I don't mean to downplay the work of the people who who create digital imagery in any way, but I, I do li- have a fondness for, you know, the, the art of, you know, physical means of mats and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the, the miniature sets and the giant sets and everything like that. So, um, you know, I, I obviously it's more cost effective to be able to do it on a, on a, on a desktop or a laptop or whatever. But, uh, but you know, the, when it's, it's just, there's something tangible about, uh, what they created with this film. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and Danny Elfman's score is also like, you know, a lot of things like, like Nicholson, like the score, um, you know, they, they kind of work overtime to, to make it all come together. And, uh, and some parts don't necessarily live up to their end of the bargain as, as well, but you know, that's what it is. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Uh, it, it might've been the last huge blockbuster of its scale before uh, CGI became, you know, such a big part of these kinds of movies. And, uh, and yeah, and it's the cast, uh, you know, Tracy Walter is Bob the goon, Jack Palance, you're my number one guy, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love that. that. was, I totally forgot Palance was in it. And, yeah. and then to watch it and like, Oh, right. He's Grissom. He's the, you know, the, the mob guy that the Joker 
ousts yes. uh, so spectacularly. Yes, and, and Jerry Hall. I mean, there are some strange eight, almost 80s touches, right? Because it was made at the tail end of the 1980s, and it has that kind of kind of like broad-shouldered, uh, you know, bigness to it, especially in the costuming and the look of the thing. Um, and then Burton returned with in 1992's Batman Returns, and you get the feeling that because Batman was such a big hit, the studio's like, do whatever you want. Do, yeah, do whatever you want. He definitely gets carte blanche yeah. for the second one. And the second one is so bizarre. It may be the most bizarre, big-budget feature superhero movie to ever try to sell toys to children. Like, it just, <laughs> there is, it is so perverse. It is willfully perverse. Uh, you know, the first half an hour, the first 35 minutes, Batman shows up for three or four minutes, has one line, and then vanishes. And the rest of it, t- the time is spent with his villains, setting up characters that play a role later. Uh, Selena Kyle uh, as Catwoman. That's uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, the Penguin, Danny DeVito, uh, Oswald Cobblepot. And then, of course, uh, Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, uh, <laughs> who is who's kind of the gangster of this picture. And, uh, you know, they get all the screen time, and you just get the sense. I mean, this is the kind of thing that they would never allow in a big-budget Hollywood movie now. No. Because there are rules and there are formulas and your hero has to show up in the first 10 minutes and make an impact or you uh, are afraid that you're no one will care and you know Burton throws that out for a circus movie basically essentially uh, yeah like well i mean a lot of the reviews of the first batman said that batman was the least interesting thing in it i guess and so i guess he took that to heart um if you listen to interviews with Burton from the time of the first movie, he goes on at length about how, well, I didn't want to make the, the Adam West campy 60s Batman, which, of course, I love. And I actually rewatched the uh, the movie that uh, they made with the cast and, you know, like four of the top villains from um, from the TV show. They made a movie in between season one and season two of the Batman uh, TV series in the 60s. And the, the movie is completely ridiculous. It's, it's, I mean, it's a comedy, and it's, but it's so over the top. It's so colorful. You get all the Dutch angles and the, you know, the, the brightly colored villainous outfits and everything like that. And, uh, you know, and the, just these deadpan, goofy lines and stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the cops see the bat copter go overhead and in the next shot, they all have their hats over their heart. You know, that stuff, just, uh, it kills me. I mean, I, when I was a kid, that, that Adam West Batman was like the probably the first pop culture nugget that I glommed onto as like a six year old, and because uh, they showed it every day after school, so I got to see a daily dose of Batman, who I loved in the comics too. Um, and uh, but Burton said he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to be campy. He didn't want to you know he wanted to have a serious Batman, which of course. But then he has the Joker, who's not serious at all and is kind of campy. But then. I feel like like watching rewatching Batman Returns. I'm going. This is totally like the '60s TV show. <laughs> the villains are more interesting. They have the best lines. Uh, there are puns and jokes galore in the dialogue. Uh, it's like this is Tim Burton's version of the '60s TV show. I guess you know. I, I guess he wanted to imply that Batman would be more serious the first time around, and then with the second one, he said, ah, "Let's just make it a, a weird like." comedy and and just go to town with it and uh, i love that that's what they did uh mm-hmm. i feel kind of funny that he was denigrating the 60s one in the first round of interviews but uh i'm glad that he came to his senses and ma- made something where the villains are so gleefully weird and 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 out there i yeah i do agree that they are gleefully weird but i don't know that i would call it camp in the same way that the that in or even inspired by the 60s tv show because it's so dark and you know the, the catwoman is a dominatrix kind of uh, supervillain, complete with a latex suit and claws and a whip, and uh, and Cobblepot is disgusting. I mean, Danny DeVito eating raw fish and having it all over his face, and his teeth are really gross. And it's just, it's it's really uh, there's a lot of darkness and unpleasantness there. Oh yeah, um, I remember kids bursting into tears uh, at, at a screening. I saw this. Uh, I remember going to a screening. And it, it wasn't the original release. It was like shortly afterwards. It was like some family fun day at Cineplex or sorry, Empire Theaters. If you remember, remember when uh, it was Empire Theaters in Bedford, which is no longer there. And they had like a like a different family film in each theater. One of them they picked was Batman Returns. So there were people there with like, you know, five and six year olds who were crying. Yeah. They were so terrified by the penguin. Oh, sure. The scene where. Uh, I think it was the scene where he's eating like raw fish and then he bites a guy's nose off. Yes, or bites that's right. Guy's face and and they just lost it. Yeah, it was, gu- gushing blood. I it, mean, it, yeah, it's it's terrifying. Uh, and you know what part that's kind of depressing watching it so many years later when Wayne 
gets back at Cobblepot by playing recordings of, of him saying nasty venal things about Gotham, the Penguin winds up losing his power. In real life, when someone like, say, <laughs> yes. the 45th president of the United States says terrible things about Americans, he faces no real repercussions. It's like the people in real life in are dumber than the erstwhile supporters of the penguin in Batman Returns. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. The 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 effort to put the uh, the penguin in the mayor's seat uh does have a certain uh, resonance today that I never would have considered until recently. <laughs> yeah. So he's so repulsive. <laughs> So, so, you know, with the time we have left, maybe I don't know if you want to say a few things about Superman uh, 2. I know you watched uh, uh, the, the – the, the, there there's two versions of the film. Yeah, well, Richard Donner, the plan was to uh, shoot Superman 1 and 2 back-to-back. And basically Richard Donner um, essentially did that. Although I think maybe they were kind of – some of the shooting was intertwined, I think. And, uh, and then he kind of got on with Superman 2 once 1 was wrapped. And um, – he had a falling out with the producers, the Salkinds, who also made a terrible Supergirl movie. Um, I guess they got the rights to the character from DC and then just kind of, they, they weren't great producers, but, but they had a great Superman and Christopher Reeve. And, uh, you know, the, the top of the line effects people and, and uh, they got some, some pretty talented people to work on the script. Um, and, but but uh, Donner uh, was out and they brought in Richard Lester uh, to complete Superman too. And he decided to make it you know, more humor based, more campy or whatever. Um, so you've, so the, the version that got released is pretty well regarded. It's, it's, it is funny. It, it moves a little better. The, the first Superman, I feel it has some sludgy moments. Um, the second one moves along better and it's got great villains in, in the, the, uh, the Kryptonians from the Phantom Zone led by Terrence Stamp as Zod. Who yeah, gets some so great awesome. Men. Kneel yeah. before Zod is one of those all time great comic book movie lines. And, uh, and Reeve gets to, to flesh out his character a little bit more. You know, they delve into the relationship between him and Lois. And uh, the Donner version, I think, takes the Lois Clark thing a little more seriously than the Lester ones. And the Lester one, I, I went back and I, I didn't watch them completely all the way through. But, uh, you know, like the, the, the big battle scene in, in Metropolis uh, has a lot more comedic insert shots, which some of which are, are pretty bad now that I look at them. Um, and, and Donner, you know, didn't want to go down that road. He wanted, you know, he was really focused on Superman as this icon, really, you know, especially the subplot where he loses his power, then he gets it back and, and, uh, and, you know, comes back better than ever kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I kind of think that Donner was probably more on the right track, but because his version was essentially unfinished, the version they cobbled together for the, so-called Donner cut is pretty good. Um, they got to use some Marlon Brando footage that didn't show up in the version that got released, and that's kind of really well used. That's more effective. They ditched the whole terrorists in Paris thing that's in the Richard Lester version because that's it's kind of silly, but it's also what you know frees the the trio from the Phantom Zone. In, in this, they basically say it's a nuclear missile that uh, Superman caught in the first movie and threw into space, exploded and freed them or whatever. Um, you know, and, and a lot of it is just the same. A lot of the scenes are just kind of the same, more or less. But but uh, I think Donner, if he had been allowed to finish, probably would have made a better film. But the Lester film, in the way it compares and contrasts to the original, works pretty well, too. You've been listening to Lends Me Your Ears, and we really appreciate you sticking with us for this hour to to. You know, hear us talk on about superhero movies of the present and the past, our our look at uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and a, a little detour into the uh, some of the better earlier uh, cinematic offerings from the DC Universe. That was a lot of fun. Steve. Yeah, it was, and and it's 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 fun to revisit some of these things. I mean, you know, I mean, the, one of the other things about the Marvel Comic Universe, it has these all these different little detours and side pockets. I mean, things like Doctor Strange is a very is a film that nobody seems to talk about anymore. But I, I, I you did, I did, <laughs> but I, I feel like that one people kind of shunted that one aside fairly soon after it came out. And um, you know, Captain Marvel, I, I feel, is a film that uh, 
was maybe better than it got a little bit, uh, but uh, but that's an enjoyable one. It's fun to go back and revisit some of these sort of, I won't call them one-offs because they might return with sequels to them or they might not. I don't know really what the grand plan, because do you remember when they actually announced the full slate that was coming up? Yeah, they, they did that a while back that with was, like five movies ahead or six movies something ahead. Something like that. It was pretty astonishing. Was yeah. it like, really? <laughs> They're keeping their cards close to their chest at this point. I think at this point, they, they yeah, yeah they, not, I don't think that was a mistake to do that. I think it got people pretty pumped. Mm-hmm. But at the same, some people thought, that's pretty audacious and now we know they can pull it off so uh it's probably yeah it's probably better to to not reveal everything but but i I love that there are these pockets of weird little one-off movies and things along the way and i I hope that they don't you know i hope they do maybe make another hulk movie this time with mark ruffalo because he's never got his own hulk movie he's just strictly in other people's movies or the avengers um so i'm you know now that we've got like brainy hulk (laughs) which i i I, I kind of like some people, yeah, some people I, I enjoyed it too. some people don't love it but um you know or maybe they'll find a way to split his persona back into its hulk smash and smart banner kind of thing but um but the anyway I, you know we've ended this era and i'm looking forward to what comes next so that's that's a nice feeling to have uh with that series i absolutely agree i will be in line for the next group of movies so uh here on lens me your ears if you'd like to reach out to us we can be found on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. We are on Twitter at Lens Me Your Ears. And I have a Twitter account at Flaw on the Iris named after my blog. And I believe we have a, an email address. Some, we actually got a, a note uh, through a third party uh, not too long ago because we hadn't been saying the, the email address. And I believe it's Lens Me Your Ears at gmail.com. Uh, and uh, I'm also on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E. We also have a Patreon account. If you would like to uh, give us some love that way, we would very much appreciate it. It takes uh, effort, time, and uh, dineros to uh, put out a podcast. And as, uh, as, <laughs> as As uh, glossy and, and awesome as this one. Um, thank you so much to CKDU for the studio facilities, uh, allowing us to record here in your studios uh, and for airing the show every second Tuesday at 5.30 p.m. And many thanks to our producers at the Village Soundcast Network for bringing all together. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be talking about movies again to you soon. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production.